Would you pray with me this morning? Yes, Lord, our heart and flesh cry out for you. We need you. God, like a deer pants for streams of water, so our soul longs for you. God, with the psalmist, we declare in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, our pleasure forevermore. God, restore us, renew us as our heart and flesh cry out to you this morning. In the name of Christ, the people of God together said, amen. Hey, would y'all thank John and the team for leading us this morning? I wanted to kind of just uh, let you know something about, about me and about Amy. We actually sponsor a, a couple of kiddos, too, uh, in Africa. We had the opportunity to go down and, and visit them as well, and we pray for them every week, and it has been really one of the joys of our life. In fact, going down there was just, it was just an absolute blast. It was a ball. I, I didn't uh, cry as much as John did or does because I'm from Phoenix, and we don't cry. With no emotion. In fact, we just go in and take what we want when we want it. We took the Jets, as a matter of fact. So um, from Winnipeg, where John's from, didn't we, John? Um, so sorry about that. That was a little bit of a derail there. Uh, so listen, here's the thing. Uh, Food for the Hungry is a great organization. Dave Lewis, our former transitional pastor, actually serves as the chair of the board at Food for the Hungry Canada. If you're looking for an opportunity to give back, looking to make a difference globally, looking to give uh, generously to really change the life of a child, I encourage you to uh, take that opportunity this morning, grab a sponsorship packet on the way out and sponsor a child. It's been a real life changer for Amy and I, and I would um, encourage you to do the same this morning. I wrote uh, this really great introduction to the sermon this morning, and I've totally uh, ditched it now. So here is my brilliant introduction. Are you ready? Deep breath. Here it is. Here's the introduction. We're talking about healing this morning. That's what we're talking about. That's my introduction. We're talking about physical, spiritual, and emotional healing because we've come to this passage in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus says to a woman who's been struggling for 12 years with, with bleeding, with chronic bleeding, he says to her, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And, and in this kind of situation, he actually raises a girl from the dead and he heals this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And, 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 and so, you know, just want you to know, spoiler alert, uh, the girl dies and Jesus raises her from the dead. The woman comes to Jesus for healing and he heals her. Uh, if he didn't heal those, those, uh, that woman and that little girl, this would be like worst Bible story ever, right? I mean, people come to Jesus for healing. He rolls his eyes, walks away, and has a sandwich. That's not something that, you know, that, but he, he reaches out and he extends his hand of grace and mercy and power and, and heals this woman uh, who's been struggling with bleeding for 12 years, and he heals this young girl who has died. But before we even get into that story, I want you to know why Jesus heals people physically why he did that in his three years of ministry 33 years on the planet but three years last three years of his life of ministry I want you to know why because it's absolutely critical at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9 there are four men that bring their friend to Jesus and the man can't walk and they say to him please could you heal this man and Jesus looks at him and says your sins are forgiven you which seems a little odd because they're asking for healing. And then the religious leaders say, who can forgive sins but God alone? The implication here is, 
Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, he can forgive sin. And Jesus looks at the religious leaders and he says this, and the quote's up here on the screen at the beginning of Matthew chapter nine. He said, so that you know that the son of man has the authority to forgive sin. He says, son, take up your mat and walk. So he heals the man in order to demonstrate that he has authority to forgive sin. So listen really closely. Here, here's kind of point number one before we even get into the, to the story here. This is at the beginning of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, point number one, kind of bottom line truth that we're working with this morning is Jesus performed physical healings in order to demonstrate his power to heal spiritually. You with me? Jesus performed physical healings in order to demonstrate his power to heal spiritually. He actually asked the religious leaders in this conversation, he says, which is harder, to forgive sin or to tell a man take up his mat and walk? The implied answer is, it's much harder to forgive sin. So Jesus says, so that you know I can do a full spiritual and emotional restoration. A full spiritual healing, take up your mat and walk. I'm demonstrating my power to heal spiritually in this healing of this man physically. So, just a few verses later, when we get to this situation where Jesus heals a young girl and he heals a woman, I want us to think, okay, Jesus, I know you healed physically, but the spirit part of me is more important. Why? Because that's a part that's going to live forever. So these, these, these healings that Jesus does, these miraculous physical healings, they're pictures, they're, they're, they're images, they're representations, they're symbols, and they help us understand what Jesus is up to in terms of the spiritual journey and the spiritual healing that, that he does in our life. Everybody understand? That's why Jesus did those things. He did physical healings so that he could demonstrate his power to heal spiritually. So kind of in this moment uh, in Jesus' life, up to this point, he's basically hung out with the outcast, the, the broken, the wounded, what a friend of mine calls EGRs, extra grace required. Those who are kind of ostracized, those who are kind of on the outskirts, those who couldn't come to temple, they couldn't come to worship, they, they didn't have community. That's basically who Jesus has been hanging out with. He's been hanging out with lepers. He's been hanging out with tax collectors. He's been hanging out with the broken, the wounded. He's been hanging out with women and children in that society. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying in that society, women and children were second-class citizens. Jesus is spending all of his time with them. So the religious leaders come to him halfway through Matthew chapter 9, right after he said, so that you know the man, son of man has authority to forgive sin take up your mat and walk after that these religious leaders come to him and finally one of these religious leaders gets up the guts to ask the question that everyone's wondering about and here it is why why jesus you're a rabbi you're a teacher you've got some authority clearly you know what you're talking about why are you hanging out with broken folks all the time why don't you hang out with us more and Jesus makes this very clear, very direct, very straightforward statement. It's not rude. It's just, here's the deal. And he says this in Matthew 9, verse 12. He says, the, the, the sick need a doctor, not the healthy. He says, I have come to be around the sick, the broken, because those are the ones that need a doctor, not the healthy. I'm just going to stop right there and tell you this morning, if you have come in that place and you say, uh, you say God I'm spiritually sick. I'm, I'm spiritually broken. 
You might say to me, Luke, you know what? I just kind of snuck in the back this morning because, you know, my my life is really kind of torn apart a little bit. I'm not not doing great at work, and I lash out at my wife and kids. And to be honest with you, like, you know, I look at porn sometimes, and I drank too much last night. My my spiritual life is kind of falling apart. I shouldn't really be here. Guess what? Jesus came for you today. And he's not just passively waiting until you come to him. He's actively seeking you out. Why? Because he said the sick need a doctor. Some of you might say, Luke, you know what? Uh, I've been pretty promiscuous, honestly. Like I've slept with a lot of guys, more than I should have. In fact, some of my, I I didn't really like them. Like I slept with them just because I was lonely. Jesus is here for you. He came for the sick. He came for the broken. He came for the wounded. He came for those that go, you know what? Like, I don't even, uh." he's actively coming after you. And I've shared my own spiritual brokenness, my own spiritual sickness, my own need for a doctor, a spiritual doctor up here several times. You can go back and listen to the podcast and you can figure out like some of the stuff I've struggled with and worked through in my own life and still healing from. God is still on a healing journey with me. Jesus is still healing me. And to be honest with you, the stuff that I've shared up here, it's really just the tip of the iceberg, (laughs) to be honest with you. Like if, if this is like a parade of people coming to Jesus, a parade of broken people, sick people who need a doctor, I'm like the drum major in the front, right? We, we, we need a doctor, and Jesus says, that's me. So if that's you this morning, if you say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm broken, I, I'm sick, I need, I need help, I, I, need, I need consolation, I need comfort, I need the God of the universe to wrap his arms around me and, said, and say, I came for you. Guess what? That's what he's doing in this moment. I came for the sick, not for the healthy. So while he's explaining this to the Pharisees, while he's explaining this, his mission to the religious leaders, this kind of interaction takes place. And and let's just let the Bible tell a story. Open your Bibles, if you would. Matthew 9, verse 18. Matthew 9, verse 18. Jesus gets the opportunity to live out... um, this mission, he lives out this statement that the sick are the ones that need a doctor. He's talking about that, and he gets an opportunity to live it out right in front of the religious leaders. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in the seat back in front of you. We also put the scripture up here on the screen so you can read along. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three guys who wrote kind of a biography of the life of Christ, they all include this situation, this interaction in their gospel or biography of the life of Christ. Um, and so we're going to use Mark and Luke to kind of fill in the gaps that Matthew leaves out because his, his story is a little briefer. It's a little more kind of an abridged version. So we'll, we'll use Mark and Luke to kind of fill in the gaps. But let, let's camp out in Matthew's text, and Mark and Luke will help us kind of complete the picture. Matthew 9, verse 18. Here's what happens. While he was saying these things about the sick need a doctor, to them, that's the religious leaders, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Stop there. Here's what we need to know about this man. Mark and Luke tell us that his name is Jairus. And that word ruler there in Matthew, it's not like a government official. It's a religious ruler. It's a religious leader. He's like a pastor. He's like an elder in a place called the synagogue. The synagogue was the local community of Jewish believers, of of people that gathered to worship Christ. The temple was for the big stuff. The temple was for sacrifice. The temple was for Yom Kippur. But the synagogue was kind of the local place of worship. This man was in charge of public worship. 
He's got a daughter who's 12 years old. Luke tells us that it's his only daughter. His only daughter. And he comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter has just died. If you go read Mark's account, Mark says that the man tells Jesus, my daughter is almost dead. Luke says, he tells Jesus, my daughter is almost dead. But Matthew says, my daughter has just died. So which is it? Is she dead or is she almost dead? I want you to know what this man is doing is he's saying that the reality of the situation is so inevitable. The situation is so dire. It's so bad. She's in such bad health. I can talk about her as if she's already died. It was a very common Hebrew tool. It was a very common idiomatic expression. It was a very common uh, way that people spoke about uh, uh, realities that were inevitable. It's most certainly going to happen, so I'm going to talk about it as if it's in the past tense. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans, he uses the same tool in Romans chapter 8. We do this all the time in, in talking to people. People say, hey, uh, I've got tickets to the Raptors game tonight. You want to go? And I would say, I'm there. I'm there. I was like, no, you're not. You're at church. Well, yeah, 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 but the reality is, it, the, the reality is so inevitable, I can talk about it as if it's already happened. Incidentally, if you have Raptors tickets for tonight, um, I'm there, okay? That's beside the point. The point is, what this man is telling Jesus is, I am desperate. You're my only hope. In fact, when Mark records this story, his request to Jesus is in broken Greek. He can't even utter a full sentence. He's saying, please, come, help my daughter. She's dead. Please, Jesus, come. Matthew says he kneels before her. Mark and Luke says he throws himself before Jesus. Says, please. Men and women of God, we have got to get ourselves in the heart of this man. Put yourself in his shoes. He has one child. His only kid. And he comes to Jesus desperate. Desperate for healing. Matthew 9, verse 19 says this, says this. It's up on the screen. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. What's going on? Jesus is moving. He's acting. He's healing. He, he's on his way to attend to the situation. He doesn't even say anything. He just gets up and starts walking. And Jairus is walking with him. Now, if you're Jairus, again, put yourself in his shoes. If you're this ruler, what are you thinking for the very first time? Maybe. Just Maybe. He can do something. You've got hope. You've got hope for the first time. On his way to Jairus' house where this little girl is, the crowds are pushing in around Jesus. He's pretty popular at this point in his ministry. People are bumping into him and nudging him, and they're, it says they're pressing in around him. I mean, he's, he's cramped. He can't really move. And he feels somebody touch him. He feels somebody touch him, and he stops, and he turns around, and he says, who touched me? Peter responds like, (laughs) I love Peter. I really love Peter, because when there's silence, like Peter has to fill it with something, and usually it's really stupid stuff, so I think there's hope for me. That's why I like that. You know, that's why I like Peter. So Peter chimes in with this Uh, Jesus, what do you mean, who touched you? There's people all around you. And Jesus, in John chapter one, it's funny, uh, Peter's name used to be Simon. He gave him a new name, Peter. 
Like, I wonder if in this moment Jesus said, you know what, I should have just chosen Captain Obvious for you because this is like the most obvious statement ever. Yeah, of course, of course these are people that are pressing in around me. Peter, I get that. I didn't think they were like made of marshmallows or something. They're not people, they're peeps. You know, that's, that's not, Jesus is going, what are you, what are you even talking about? So Jesus uh, turns around and says, who touched me? And no one wants to admit to anything. No one wants to admit to anything. Now, now stop for a minute. Our eyes have already turned to this woman. This woman who has touched the, the edge of Jesus' cloak. We're going to get there. He touched, touched the hem of his garment. We're going to get there. But, but stop. Put yourself back in Jairus' shoes. Put yourself back in his shoes for a minute. Jesus is walking to heal your only daughter. He's your last hope. And he stops to answer, or to actually to ask, a pretty ridiculous question. At least Peter thought it was. If you were Jairus, how would you respond? You'd probably respond the same way I did. Or I would. What are you doing, Jesus? We're on, we're, we're on our way to fix it. Like, my daughter needs you. She's going to die if you don't get there. And you're asking a, a simple, stupid, ridiculous question? Let's get on with it. Did you get distracted? Did you forget about me? Did, I, I'm standing right here, and we're on our way to healing. We're on our way to fix it. In fact, just in a moment, uh, and Mark and Luke tell us that a friend of Jairus's will walk up to him and say, oh, P.S., it's confirmed, she's dead. And he, and he actually tells him, stop bugging Jesus. You're barking up the wrong tree. It's over. No more healing. Can't bring anybody back to life. It's over. Stop bugging the master. Now, I want you to know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them that record this interaction, do they record a response from Jairus? No. He stands quietly. He waits on Jesus' timing. Here's why. Because Jairus knows, and he is living in the reality that many of us should know or need to know and should be living in, and it's this. If you're taking notes, jot it down. When Jesus starts a healing journey with me, he will finish a healing journey with me. When Jesus starts a healing journey with me, he will finish a healing journey with me. He hasn't gotten distracted. He hasn't forgotten about you. He didn't get bored. He started a healing journey and he will finish a healing journey. Philippians 1.6 says this way, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. He who started a good work in you will complete it. He began the healing journey. He's gonna see it through to the end. And Jairus just stands and goes, it's, this, is your, this is your healing journey, bud. You, you lead, you set the pace, you make the call, you feel like you need to stop, hit the pause button for a minute. That's okay. I'm here, I trust you. When it comes to physical healing, Jesus starts a healing journey with us and he will finish it. 
It supplies in physical healing too. Now I want you to pay really close attention because if you don't pay close attention, you're gonna send me nasty emails and I already get enough of those, okay? So pay really close attention and stick with me. Here's what happens when we come to the Lord, like Jairus, and we say, on behalf of my friend, on behalf of my son or daughter, on behalf of my mom or dad, on behalf of my spouse, please heal. Jesus intervene, God intervene, heal, restore their physical body. One of two things happens. Either Jesus restores their physical body and heals them, or he just gives them a brand new body. Praise God. He will finish that healing journey. He started it. He's going to finish it. How many of you would say, you know what? I've, I've done that. I've gone to God. I've prayed for healing, anointed with oil, and the whole, the whole thing, even if you didn't anoint with oil, it did whatever. You just exhausted your resources on behalf of someone, and God intervened, and boom, their body was restored, and they were healed. Anybody? Can you raise your hand? Can you testify? Say that. Yeah. Okay, cool. How many of you? My hand's up, too. My hand's up, too. Mom's 12-year survivor of cancer, right? So my hand's up too. How many of you have prayed to God and just exhausted your resources and said, God, please heal my friend. Please heal my mom. Please heal my spouse. Please heal my kid. And God decided not to restore their body, but he's just decided to give them a brand new body. How many of you? Take them home. Give them a brand new body. No more cancer. No more sickness. No more death. No more pain. When Jesus starts a healing journey with you, he will finish a healing journey with you. It may not be in the way that you ask him to. It may not be in the timing that you think he ought to. You may bring kind of your metaphorical car in for service and say the timing belt doesn't work, the brakes doesn't work, the steering column's out, the engine's bad, the transition, transmission fell out. Could you fix it? And Jesus goes, how about I just give you a brand new one and take you home to be with me? When Jesus starts a healing journey with you, he will finish a healing journey with you. But remember, when we read the scriptures and we read about physical healings that Jesus does, remember what he's demonstrating is that he has the authority to do a complete spiritual and emotional restoration in your life. That's what he wants to know. So let's talk about that spiritual and emotional piece. How many of you, and I I know there's people in this room because you've been in in the space that I've been in in the past, you feel like Jesus has started this journey with me. He, he showed up. He, he started to move. I started to watch my emotional life change. I started to watch my marriage change. I started to watch, to, to watch uh, spiritual and emotional restoration and new life show up in my life. And I think he got distracted somewhere. I think he forgot about me for a little bit. I don't know if he turned around to answer somebody's stupid question or what, but, but it's kind of paused out. It's kind of stalled out in my life. I've been there. Maybe, maybe you even have friends like Jairus' friends that show up in your life and they say, uh, hey, look, this Jesus thing, it's not working out. It's over. It's stalled out. Stop bugging him. You're barking up the wrong tree. Don't beat a dead horse. Try something different. It's over. It's done. She's dead. Maybe your friends have told you that too. Maybe you're even brand new here and you're starting to experience new life in Jesus and you're finding him restoring your your heart and restoring your emotional situation. You found him restoring your spirit, but, but it's just not happening as fast as you'd like it to. And the temptation is to bail out. The temptation is to walk away. The temptation is to take the advice of your friends and say, okay, I'm done. 
I'm going to go find something else. I'm going to go find some other uh, way to restore myself spiritually or emotionally. I'm going to find some other way to numb the pain. It never works, by the way. And the temptation is to walk away. The temptation is to bail out. Let me just tell you this morning that when Jesus starts a spiritual journey with you, healing journey with you, he will finish that healing journey. He's not distracted. He's on it with you. And when it comes to our spiritual and emotional well-being, when it comes to restoration and life in Jesus, here's our responsibility. Our responsibility is just simply not to bail out. God will finish the work. My job is to stay in the game. My job is to take a cue from Jairus and to say, this is your timing. I know you're going to finish it. You started it. You're going to finish it. I'm going to wait on you. He's going to finish the game. When I was 20 years old, I started uh, sleeping more. Um, I had gone through a breakup. Somebody dumped me, actually. I know that's really difficult to believe that somebody would dump me. It was, <laughs> it was difficult for me to believe, too. Um, so I, I, I started sleeping more than I was before. And for a 20-year-old kid, you know, we, we sleep 13 hours a day anyway. But I started sleeping 14, 15, 16, 17, like 18 hours a day for like six months on end. I had really uh, a lot of difficulty concentrating, difficulty focusing. I lost interest in the things that I used to really love. In fact, I would think to myself, like, I'm hungry, so how do I solve my hunger problem? Well, I could go to the cupboard and get a bowl. I go to the fridge and get milk. I could go to the pantry and get cereal. I go to the drawer and get a spoon, and I combine them all together. Oh, I can't do that. I'm exhausted. Like, that's too much for me to handle. It was so overwhelming. So I lost like 40, 50 pounds in six months. Finally, I went to the doctor. The doctor said, you ever heard of depression before? I said, yeah, like that being sad? Like, no, 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 no. Let 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 me talk to you a little bit about what that is. And Jesus... He, he had began that spiritual restoration long ago, but there was emotional stuff. There was internal stuff. There was more spiritual stuff that he needed to work through in my life. And I promise you, as I healed, as I worked through that, as, as life and vitality spiritually and emotionally started to come back with the help of even Christian counselors and, and certainly with the hand of God, there were moments in that journey, and I know that there's people in this room that are thinking, that's me, I know it, I felt it, I've been there. And you'll know this too, there will be moments in that journey where you take two steps forward and three steps back don't you? Or where you take four steps forward and 56 steps back. You ever been there? Or or you're waiting to take those next steps forward and and you're stalled out. You you hit the pause button. Nothing's happening. And you go to God and you go, what in the world? Take a big deep breath. Jesus says, relax. I'm here. I'm walking with you in your spiritual restoration journey, the healing journey that I started I will finish. Jairus knows how this, thing's is, this thing is going to end. He knows how this thing is going to close out. Look at it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. It says, when Jesus came to the ruler's house, that's Jairus, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Just side note, not a good idea to laugh at God, ever, by the way. You should laugh with him, that's okay. Laughing at him, very different. 
Verse 25, but the crowd had, when, when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. You see, Jesus completed his healing journey. He took Jairus along for the ride, and Jairus was patient. Let's take a cue from him and even stand on that truth together as a body this morning as an individual. Jesus started a healing journey, and he'll finish it. The second person that we need to talk about in the story is this woman. This woman that's struggling with an issue of blood. She's been bleeding, uh, uterine bleeding, for 12 years. I actually called an OBGYN in our congregation this week. It was, it was a... It's a great conversation. He's a wonderful human being, a fantastic organ player too. I called him. I said, hey, bud, um, would, you, would you talk me through this a little bit? Like if you had a patient come in that said, I, I've had a uterine bleeding now, heavy bleeding for 12 years, for 12 years. Would you know what the diagnosis is without even asking much questions or doing an exam or whatever? He said, almost certainly. I said, what would be the diagnosis? He said that the likelihood is that this woman from Matthew chapter 9 and from Luke and Mark's Gospels as well is, has a cervical tumor, and she's had a cervical tumor for 12 years. She would have bled often, and she would have bled a lot. We're not talking about like heavy periods. We're talking about bleeding through clothes so that everybody can see it. I know for some of you this is a little uncomfortable. Grow up. Sorry. Um, <laughs> just see, it, see if that was in my notes here. Um, <laughs> Nope, uh, feel free to send me an email about that one. So um, <laughs> she, she has a cervical tumor. She would have been in chronic pain, fatigue, lethargy. She would have had a fever. There would have been an odor associated with this tumor and everybody could have smelled her coming. She was bleeding all the time. And check this out. The fact that she was bleeding all the time meant that she was ceremonially, ceremonially, ritually unclean. No one would have hugged her. No one would have kissed her. Check it. No one would have touched her for 12 years. If she was married before, she would have been divorced. If she had never been married, nobody would have ever married her. She comes to Jesus. Matthew tells us that, he, that she sneaks up behind. Let's just read it. Let's just read it. Matthew chapter 9. Look at it. Verse 20, uh, verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Stop there. Where's the fringe of a garment? Down here. This woman crawls up on the ground behind Jesus. Why? She's ashamed. She's embarrassed. She's not even supposed to be in a public place. She's broken. She's bruised. She's fractured. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody's even touched me in 12 years. Mark and Luke tell us that she's actually exhausted all of her resources. She used to have money, but she spent it all trying to fix her condition, and the physicians have not been able to do so. They would have prescribed herbs. They would have prescribed scare tactics. Not kidding. They would have told her, look, you can scare this blood out of you. So she would have paid people, likely, likely she would have paid people to walk around the town and just jump out of nowhere and scare her to try to scare it out of her. Could you imagine that for 12 years just walking around? I'm just, I'm just somebody's going to jump out with, you know, just to frighten me. She's destitute. She's alone. She's afraid. She's not even supposed to be there. She's ashamed. She's embarrassed. She's crawling on the ground and she sneaks up behind Jesus and she tells herself, verse 21, if only I touch his garment. I will be made well. 
It's interesting to me that there is still an element of superstition about her faith in Jesus. There's still an element of, of, of superstition about her reaching out. It's like carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg around. That's one of the things that they would have prescribed her to do. Carry the ashes of an ostrich egg around. That'll heal you. It's like paying for scare tactics. It, there's still an element of superstition. It was, it was very interesting. Uh, last week, somebody came to Jesus, said yes to Jesus for the very first time. Their story was great. They, they actually uh, told a friend after the fact, they said, I don't own a Bible. I don't know much about it. You know what? I, I don't know all the stories about this Jesus guy and who he is, but I tell you what, I said yes to him today because I want forgiveness I want grace and I want him to lead my life and walk with me. Is it okay if I don't like have the Bible memorized yet? It's like, well, we'll give you a couple weeks, right? Um, (laughs) There's something about, you know, when it comes to saying yes to Jesus and reaching out in faith and trusting him like this woman is doing, you don't have to have all the answers. You just gotta know, if I can only just have a little touch from Jesus. Spiritual and emotional renewal is mine. Look at verse 22. Jesus turned and seeing her, stop. Now Matthew could have just said, Jesus turned and said, but he doesn't. He says, Jesus turned and seeing her. This woman's story makes me think of abuse victims sexually, emotionally, physically uh, abused. The reason it makes me think of those folks is because I'm married to one. So I've done a lot of reading and a lot of research and a lot of sitting in counseling rooms (laughs) to work through the implications of what that means. The reason why is is because this woman would have thought, nobody loves me, nobody cares, Nobody sees me. Everything is hidden. Everything is shame. I'm trying to hide this issue that I'm dealing with for 12 years. I'm trying to keep it tucked away just so I can maybe have some kind of relationship with somebody. And Jesus turns and what? Sees her. Especially women of God. And the statistics in terms of uh, women who have experienced some kind of abuse in their life, they're absolutely staggering. I mean, just staggering. So women of God, you may think that your spouse doesn't see you sometimes, or maybe your friends don't see you, or maybe even your pastors don't see you. You may think that your colleagues don't see you, or your siblings don't see you. And that may be true sometimes, sometimes. Maybe true a lot of the time. You know what's never true? Jesus doesn't see you. He sees you. He sees your shame. He sees your pain. He sees your embarrassment. He sees your broken heart. And he turns with eyes of compassion. He turns with a heart that's just crying out to come alongside you and heal you and start an emotional and spiritual healing journey with you. Jesus sees you. Jesus turned to the woman, and healing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Take heart. Don't be afraid anymore. Be of good courage. Have joy. 
and he calls her what? Daughter. Everybody say it with me. Daughter. Only person in the New Testament that Jesus calls daughter. He says, I know. I see you. I'm here. I'm going to stop this thing I was doing that's really important to focus on you totally. When he actually asks, he says, who touched me? Mark and Luke tell us that she came with fear and trembling. She's so scared to say, I need you, Jesus. I need you. It's me. He turns and sees her. And he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. We're running out of time, so I'm just going to tell you a couple of things for me that I jotted down, learning from Jairus and learning from this woman in terms of a spiritual and emotional healing journey. When Jesus turns and says to the woman, your faith has made you well, that's a comprehensive term. It means whole. Of course, he healed her physically, but it means whole, spiritual and emotional healing. And on that spiritual and emotional journey towards wholeness, towards healing, here's something you can learn from Jairus. Here's something I can learn from this woman we can both learn together faith in jesus results in a wholehearted search for jesus jairus left his wife at home to care for this little girl his only kid and ran and threw himself at the feet of jesus faith in jesus resulted in a wholehearted search for jesus This woman crawling on the ground in shame and brokenness, trying to hide in embarrassment, just, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Faith in Jesus results in a wholehearted search for Jesus. Faith in God unleashes the healing power of God in my life. Faith in God unleashes the healing power of God in my life. We want to get this backwards sometimes, I think. We want God to bless us. We want God to heal us. We want God to work us through problems and get us through to the other side, to spiritual wholeness and emotional wholeness and so we could participate in relationships and all that stuff. And then I'll trust you, Jesus. And then I'll have faith in you, Jesus. Tell me if this is not true. Some of you are in school now. Some of you have been in school before. Some of you have just heard that word school for the very first time. I'll tell you what it is later. But you've been in a test before. You and I know this where, you, where you've gone to God and you say, Oh God, I know I did not study. But if you give me an A, wholeness, healing in the form of an A, I'll even take a B, I will trust you. You ever been there before? Some of you are like, I'm like that woman right now. I'm just embarrassed and ashamed. I've been there. Have you ever been in that that situation like, you know, oh God, if you just help me to stop throwing up, I will trust you and I will never drink again. Some of you are shaking your heads like I've never been there. You have been there. I know you've been there. There's, there's this moment where God comes along and he says, he says look, here, here's, here's how this works. You trust me. You, you, you trust me and that trust leads you to obey. Obedience. To do what I say. Like, I trust my dad. So if my dad told me do this, I'd do it. Even if it sounded silly, I trust my dad. So when Jesus says, trust me, Don't panic, I'm gonna answer a question. I'm gonna heal somebody, Jairus, don't panic, relax. We obey Jesus, we trust him, we have faith in him, and our faith in him 
is the catalyst for his healing power. Faith in God unleashes the healing power of God in my life. Faith in Jesus results in a wholehearted search for Jesus. Now, you may be in one of those spots today. You may be in a spot where you feel like things have stalled out, where Jesus hit the pause button, you don't know what's going on. You may be in a spot where you feel shame and brokenness and you're hiding just like this woman and you're trying not to let anybody know. Here's the invitation of Jesus. Trust me. Just reach out in faith. Search me out. Walk with me. Let me set the pace because I will start a healing journey and I will finish it. Trust me. You may think to yourself, I got, I got nothing left. I've exhausted all my resources. Just like that woman, I've spent everything I've had, everything I have trying to fix this issue. Guess what? God begins an act of faith. Or in an act of faith, God begins healing at the point of human limitation. When we've exhausted all our resources, when we've got nothing left, that's when God works his best and his greatest stories of redemption and healing. Look, you know, for those of you who may have struggled even with some of the similar stuff, some similar stuff that I have in terms of clinical depression, for those who you have struggled with maybe addiction or chronic loneliness and pain. For those of you who say, I'm broken and ashamed, I I shouldn't even be around Jesus. And I come into this church thing and I make everybody else unclean. That's That's how messed up I am. Join the club. Jesus is searching you out. And his invitation this morning is to reach out in faith, trust him, and let him start and finish a healing journey with you. Let's pray together. Just in a moment of quiet before the Lord, even as the band comes back up and kind of gets in their places, they're going to lead us in a song to close here. Um, So in a moment of quiet before the Lord, some of you might say, you know what? Uh, there There was a pause button hit in my healing journey. And I didn't respond like Jairus did with patience. I didn't respond like Jairus did with with waiting on Jesus. I responded by bailing out. Some of you say, you know what? I need to get back in the journey with God. He's going to finish it. I just got to get back in the game with him. Start praying. Start reading his word. Start hearing from from God's uh, grace and God's word, even getting around community and coming to church and those kinds of things. I need to get back in the game with him. Would you just take that to the Lord this morning and say, God, I want to get back in the game with you. I want to let you finish this healing journey that you started. For some of you, you've exhausted all of your resources. For those of you that are in that spot, you're in a perfect place for God to intervene. 
I don't know what that issue is that you've been struggling with. Maybe you've been struggling a week, a month, maybe like this woman, you've been struggling for 12 years, maybe longer. Everything you've got, you've thrown at making this issue work, making it go away, trying to live. And Jesus invites you to just reach out in faith. Just reach out in faith. Trust him this morning. Say, God, I'm going to let you finish this healing journey. I'm going to trust you. Just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Let him see you. Let him say to you, take heart, daughter. Take heart, son. Your faith has made you well. God, would you allow us to learn from Jairus this morning? Would you allow us to learn from this woman this morning? We are so grateful, oh God, that you have recorded these stories about Jesus' healing power, about his grace and goodness. For us to read, for us to learn from, for us to have hope and restoration and renewal. Lead us and guide us, good shepherd. Oh, great physician, we trust you for healing this day. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing to the Lord as we close.